Hello again, my name is Andrew Wetzel. Welcome to another real estate podcast. I'm a full-time agent with Long & Foster. I'm also a realtor, an associate broker, an ethics instructor, co-chair of professional standards at Suburban West Realtors Association, and a mediator. I've been moving sellers and buyers since 1996. Thank you as always for taking the time to listen. Today's topic is the 2020 Delaware County, Pennsylvania reassessment results. The court order Delaware County reassessment project is nearing its conclusion. When completed, the county will have a total value for all of its over 203,000 parcels of real estate. Then they will determine the millage rate or the tax due per thousand dollars of real estate owned, which is needed to generate the tax revenue required to fund the different parts of government, including the school districts. I served on one of five auxiliary tax reassessment appeal boards, and I reported on various aspects of my experiences, including the purpose of the process and suggestions on how to appeal your proposed assessment. The purpose of this report is to provide an overview of my board's results. I have no way of knowing how these compare to the other boards, nor do I know what happened after my board rendered its decision. Those whose appeals were rejected had a final opportunity to appeal our decision. Some may have accepted our decision or decided to wait to see what happens to their taxes. Perhaps some whose appeals were accepted decided to appeal further seeking an additional reduction. As far as my experience, our board remained intact for 26 days of hearings. We were scheduled to hear 1,389 appeals, 329 appellants, meaning the people who were seeking to have their assessment lowered, 329 did not report for their hearing. That's almost 24% of the schedule. 59 appeals were withdrawn after being scheduled, 13 scheduled appeals were rescheduled, and in the end, we ended up actually hearing 988 appeals, a little over 71% of what we were scheduled to see. 493, almost half, of the appeals were done virtually, meaning over the phone. 18 of our appeals resulted in our not making a decision due to their complexity, so we referred them to the Board of Assessments. Few of the appellants used attorneys. In a number of cases, both in person and virtually, a school district sent an attorney to observe or listen. In a number of our hearings, it was the school district appealing the proposed assessed values, seeking to raise them, while perhaps adversely affecting individual property owners, doing this did spread the school tax burden more uniformly across the school district. Only a few of the property owners appeared to refute their school district's argument, and some of them were able to retain the county's proposed assessed value. A significant number of appeals were accepted by the panel. Most of the time, we were unanimous. The people who came prepared generally succeeded. The best preparation, in my opinion, consisted of one of two strategies. Some used both. Appraisals, if based on the July 2019 timeframe, substantiated the contention that the proposed assessed value overstated market value And also, pictures demonstrated that the county had an incorrect view of property condition, especially when the interior of the property was in below-average condition, 
since the process relied on exterior views. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, too many people came to their hearing unprepared to document their case, with many assuming that the new assessment would proportionally increase their tax burden. While a few questioned the constitutionality or purpose of the project, thinking it was to get a revenue windfall for the county, many seemed unaware of the basic information that had been provided by the county. All board members were required to be county residents, so we got the same information as the appellants. The county and the media provided a lot of information about the process as well. Admittedly, I realized that different people interpreted the information differently, but I do not know why so many did not realize that they had the burden of proving the new value incorrect, coming to the hearing expecting us to make a change based solely on what they told us. It did appear that some of the confusion lessened as the project progressed, which suggests that people heard from others who had already had their appeal. At the very least, there was one final appeal after our involvement. I did have an opportunity to discuss how one school district's appraiser arrived at their value and proved something that I had raised with several property owners. As I reported before, a number of property owners attempted to appeal their proposed assessment by using an argument based on price per square foot, which we generally denied as not being an apples to apples comparison of supposedly similar properties. The school district appraiser I mentioned used that as a method to complete his assignment. He stated that he had not visited any of the properties in question, that he relied on public records for lot size and living space, and that he reduced his comparables to a price per square foot to arrive at what he thought was a fair market value for the properties in dispute. Please keep in mind that the property owners had a chance to refute his argument, but I'm not sure why so many did not attend what they were apparently advised was a hearing to raise their assessed values and therefore their tax burden. I asked the appraiser directly about using price per square foot, specifically suggesting that it did not account for different property conditions that might influence a prospective buyer. He agreed that it, and therefore he, did not factor property condition into his conclusion. A lender's appraiser, or one hired by a homeowner, would have entered and viewed the subject property, although the current pandemic has apparently resulted in some drive-by appraisals. As far as the reassessment project itself, it was physically impossible for the process to include in-person visits. Overall, I found this an interesting process and came away with several thoughts I'd like to share. Number one, while using market value as a way to levy taxes makes sense, there is no perfect way to analyze and categorize over 203,000 parcels of real estate given they're having different layouts, locations, and uses. Even if in-person visits were used, we have different opinions and there would be too much subjectivity. Numbers are objective and provable, although predicting a future buyer's behavior is impossible. Number two, the process used to arrive at a basic assessment makes sense and given that the property owners were provided with information to dispute as far as what the county had on record for their property, and their proposed assessment or valuation, I'm not sure what else could have been done. Many owners never reported errors until the hearing, and many did not show up or cancel their hearing for whatever reason. 
Owners can appeal their taxes every year, and many may decide to do that next year if they're not happy with their tax rates for 2021. Number three, the process relied on the last assessment and employed a variety of tools to compare the current property to what was known during the last assessment in the 1999-2000 timeframe. I believe that many properties likely remain under assessed for a variety of reasons and do not know how to remedy that. Computer algorithms can only do so much. If improvements are made without permits, errors will occur. Vacant land presented particular issues. We had about 50 lots whose assessments were questioned, but the amount in question was usually significant. The technology used assumed that most of the lots were buildable and considered them primary space, assessing them as such. However, if it was proven or obvious that land was unbuildable, we reduced the assessment. We also saw a number of interesting anomalies that defied the algorithm. We saw instances where a property owner owned two adjoining parcels with one being a vacant lot. In one case, there was a house that sat partially on both parcels, which the system picked up as two parcels having structures on each. The owner said he received tax bills for both parcels, but that he was never overtaxed. The reassessment could have created an issue if he hadn't appealed. We also saw cases where a property owner essentially rendered their extra lot unsaleable and wanted that lot's reassessment lowered, even though it was their action unintentional as it was, that essentially rendered the lot unsaleable. In one case, an owner installed a driveway on an adjoining lot to access their residence, which was situated on the adjoining parcel. In another situation, a property owner installed a patio enclosure that ended at the boundary line between the two parcels in conflict with the setback requirement that would have affected both properties had they been separately developed. When an owner owns an adjoining lot, you have to ask why they bought it. While it may be too small to build on or have some other defect that renders it unbuildable, it does add value to their residents even if only for privacy, so the issue is not as clear cut as some might want to suggest. All in all, while I found this process interesting, I do have to admit that I was not prepared for many of the sad stories we heard largely centered on whether property owners could afford to remain owners after their taxes were raised. As I mentioned earlier, many assumed that their taxes would rise in proportion to the change in their assessed values. It was very typical to see an assessed value simply double due to the change in target dates between reassessments. Again, the last assessment occurred back in 1999. Regardless, it's always sad whenever a property owner fears losing their home especially when their concerns may be unfounded. Reassessments are rare. I wonder how long it will be before the next one. How many of the people we met will be asked to go through the process again? Hopefully we prepared them for a final appeal. The purpose of the reassessment boils down to fairness and uniformity. Property taxes should be objectively leveled based on relative property value and not any subjectivity. The county was not allowed to see a windfall as a result of the process, but the tax burden will be reallocated with some seeing a reduction, some seeing an increase, and some remaining consistent in the level of their taxation. I wonder how many bought or in the process of buying without having any idea 
what their taxes may be, let alone even knowing that the county has been undergoing a reassessment. My personal experience with prospective sellers and buyers proves this to be true. Regardless of how hearings turned out, my board attempted to make sure that everyone understood the origin of the reassessment, meaning that it was court-ordered, that they knew that the goal was to assess everyone based on July 2019 fair market value of what they owned to ensure that their tax burden was fair and uniform, and that there was another appeal remaining if they disagree with our decision. We also explained what we were looking for in terms of proof that the county number was incorrect. While some were disappointed and blamed others for their not understanding the purpose of the process or the hearing, many did seem to appreciate our explanations and thanked us for taking the time to help them better understand the overall process. That concludes this podcast. Again, thank you as always for listening.